0: You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program.
1: My name is James C. Harris, sitting in for for Glenn Beck. I am a radio talk show host. Uh, My show is called The Conservative Circus. I am the ringmaster. And the big top is News Talk 550 KFYI out of Phoenix. You can listen Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. AZ time, because our time doesn't change, yours does. And right after my show is the Glenn Beck program. So 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 this is perfect. And I am honored to once again be filling in. And on Christmas, I hope that you had a fantastic Christmas. I hope that your Christmas was filled with joy. I hope that your Christmas was filled uh, with family. And I hope that your Christmas was not filled with media. I do believe that the media is our enemy. We're going to talk about that uh, on today's program. We sing, O oh, come all ye faithful. We sing joy to the world. And that's because this is the time where, where Christians celebrate the birth of Christ. And even as a child, Jesus was king. From the first breath that he drew, he was worthy to be worshiped. Jesus is 100% human, and we Christians believe he's also 100% divine. Jesus' birth was so huge. It was so huge of a miracle that it had to be accompanied, you know, by a whole host of angels. What if the shepherds were too busy looking at their social media on their phones to have noticed the heavenly host? Oh, we do that. We do that. I am a night hiker to the chagrin of my smoking hot wife and my, my friends, my coworkers, my boss. I hike at night to sometimes I even hike at night, uh, in my, in my sandals. Some would say barefoot. I love it, especially when there's that full moon and those stars and it's quiet and the shadows. And that's pretty much what was going on with those shepherds a couple of thousand years ago. But see, they weren't out enjoying themselves. They were working. And their job was to protect the sheep, protect the flock from wolves. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And out of that darkness and out of that, that, that environment, boom, <laughs> the skies lit up. I think one of the first things the angel said was fear not. Well, yeah. That was, yeah. I would have know. yeah. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> Running fall over the trip over the sheep. Now fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for all the people. What a message. Now, if you're up on your Jewish tradition, if you're up on your Bible study, you know that the the that that the, the Lord had gone silent. God had gone silent for over 400 years. They were waiting for a Messiah, but they didn't know how this is going to play out. This message, I believe the Christmas message is so important because those shepherds who are out in the fields, those shepherds who were doing their job. They was probably probably seen as one of the lowest jobs of that of that society. It's not something that you would aspire to. Sometimes we're in those kind of positions where we're we're doing jobs. We don't think that it's it's all that important. We don't see ourselves as all that special. And look what happened. The heavens opened up and the angels visited the shepherds. They didn't visit the king. They didn't seek out the priest. The angels visited the shepherds. Those shepherds probably got lonely and often felt like they were forgotten, felt for, felt like they were nothing. But in the midst of their everyday task, God sent a company of angels to tell them the greatest news mankind has ever heard. You see, I do believe that God is the great tactician. And I do believe that this was an invasion I think that Jesus the Christ, as a baby, being born from heaven, sent from heaven to earth, was an invasion. His job was ultimately to take on the sins of the world and be sacrificed for you and me. And Jesus had enemies. Even at the, at the, the rumor of his birth, you had King Herod have all of the boys of that region. executed. Think about that. The news that a king was going to be born. Led to. A man to have. To, to slaughter innocence. To protect his power. God sees you. God has not forgotten us. It may seem like that. It may seem like heaven is silent, but God has not ignored us. And this is the day where we should remember that we should rejoice. We should know that God sees us through our tears. We should know that God will reward our faithfulness. We should know that our God is a God of suddenness. He'll just show up. you may feel like you're in darkness. You may feel like all you have out there is the moon, the light, faint light of the moon and the stars, but no, you have more. And the lesson I do believe today is that God has an army of angels. God has an infinite supply of divinity, divine support. He doesn't change. He's still a God of suddenness. And when you have need of him, he will be more than happy to show up to to supply. The reason why I believe the Lord came 2000 years ago, as opposed to today, is because that was the perfect strategy in which for a lesson to be taught. And that lesson is. That the word of Christ. Is not meant for media. It's meant for the. For the human heart. It's meant for the human heart. Oh. It can break through media. It can shine through. And it's shown through. 50 years ago. On a little show called. Charlie. Brown's Christmas and Charlie Brown was the director of a play and it was supposed to be about the meaning of Christians Christmas and Charles Schultz wanted this cartoon to be about what Christmas was all about and there was an iconic moment where Linus dropped his security blanket and said this I guess you were right Linus I shouldn't have picked this little tree everything I do turns into a disaster I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Amazing. Joy to the world, our Lord has come. Amazing. That cartoon, uh, George Schultz, I believe, the creator. I think Coke was Coca-Cola was the original sponsor, and they had to go through hell and high water to get that on the air. The suits at the time didn't believe that scripture should be shared on network television. That was one of those breakthroughs. That was one of those surprising moments. And it still still is power packed. It, why? Because it's scripture. And it announced the, the arrival of the king. Now, we got to deal with the media. The rest of the media, which has changed so radically since Charlie Brown's Christmas. My name is James T. Harris. This is the Glenn Beck Program. James T. Harris sitting in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Charlie Brown Christmas. It aired on national primetime television uh, over 50 years ago. And uh, we're talking about something that was simple, something that was straightforward. If you're a fan of peanuts, you grew up with that. That was my Christmas lineup. I watched The Grinch That Stole Christmas, right? We have Frosty the Snowman. And then we would have a Charlie Brown Christmas. And even as a child, we know, you know, with all the Santa Claus, we went for Santa Claus, we can't wait for Santa Claus to come and the presents and all that kind of stuff. Charlie Brown Christmas cut right through it. It had the little shabby Christmas tree. Remember that? That's what, that's what Charlie Brown got ridiculed for. Charlie Brown, you can't even do Christmas right. You can't even buy a beautiful Christmas tree. What, what, what is this? Everybody's laughing at him. That was led him into, uh, what is Christmas? Can tell me, tell, can someone please tell me what Christmas is all about? And that's when Linus dropped the security blanket and talked about fear not, fear not. I think this is something that uh, uh should be a message for us today. Fear not. If you look around the landscape, there's a lot of stuff that we can be fearful about. I did not turn on the television set uh this this uh uh this week. As a matter of fact, the last television program that I watched was the Green Bay Packers handling their business. That was exciting. Then I turned the TV set off. And it was just my family. We were hanging out. Now, yeah, we did have our cell phones and we did have our social media, but even that was cut down to a minimum. It's one of these times where I am in the business and I'm always up on these things and I'm always show prepping. Life is show prepped. I I just wanted to kind of shut things down. Plus, I want to have time to prepare for sitting in for Glenn Beck. I didn't rejoin media until this morning. I turned on and started doing prep and I was like, "Whoa! Holy cow. Look at this war that is being conducted against Christianity. Look at how our savior is being ridiculed. Look at what the media what what, what the um I'll just be blunt. Look at what the left in the media is perfectly willing to exploit talk about." There's a new Rasmussen poll showing strong majorities favor saying Merry Christmas. What you gotta, you gotta poll that? We poll everything. Hey, let's take a poll. How many of you out there are comfortable saying Merry Christmas? Well, you know what? We haven't been in the past. Why? Because I mean Christmas has been beat that beat to hell, quite frankly. There's a strong Merry Christmas! And Polls show that uh, celebrating Christmas in public schools and religious displays in public areas is, is fine. Well, gosh, glad to know that. But you see, we've let the media set the standard, haven't we? We've let the media bully us into not saying Merry Christmas because we may offend someone. Christmas is offensive. I think we had a Justice Gorsuch the other day was on Fox News and he said, Merry Christmas. And we had the left come out and say that, you know, that's cold. That's that's cold for white supremacy. I'm not kidding. Merry Christmas is now cold. (laughs) And then when you turn to Hollywood. Hollywood sees, you know, Merry Christmas. Hollywood sees a Christianity. As oppression. And so they do what they do best and they do it on their vehicle. They do it on the vehicle that they know is going to resonate across the country. They go to entertainment television. I'm not a fan of television. I think television is an amazing, amazing invention. I think that it's been taken over. I think that, that it's been subverted. I think that some of the things on it are downright evil. On Fox's Family Guy, you got a shopping mall Santa with a high school girl on his lap and he brings her to sexual pleasure. See, I'm even hesitating saying these things on the Glenn Beck show. My goodness. After she uh, uh, searches at the at the local mall until she finds her. Her creepy claws is Santa Claus instructs her that he has a, she has now a new sexual discovery. And then he tells her, I know what each and every person needs for Christmas. So we just sexualize Christmas on Comedy Central South Park, which is a racy show. I mean, they, they purposefully take on all comers. But this year they had Santa Claus uh, wreaking havoc on a town by batting alcohol to stop drunk driving accidents. Okay. And then he bans marijuana that's been laced with cocaine, which leads to more accidents. <laughs> and so you got the, you got Jolly St. Nick <laughs> talking about cocaine lace pot selling pure coke. Which leads to Santa Claus sneaking into all the homes at night to steal all of the drugs. Finally, a drug dealer convinces Santa to try some Coke. And Santa Claus marveled at how clean. (laughs) How clean it was. And then Jesus appears, and then Santa offers him some cocaine. It's a good high, Jesus agrees. And he performs a Christmas miracle making the cocaine fall like snow all over the town so everyone could enjoy the addictive drugs. Yeah. Oh, and then there's Netflix. They have a new uh, Christmas twist out, the first temptation of Christ about a homosexual Jesus going home for the holidays and introducing the rest of the holy family to his flamboyant new boyfriend. That's not enough. They even have uh, the Virgin Mary smoking a joint, and they have one of the wise men hiring a prostitute, and they have Jesus getting high off of special tea. This is what Hollywood is offering up for for Christmas. This is the twist that they put on one of the greatest stories ever told. You're listening to The Best of the Glenn Beck Program. My father was from Mississippi, and his best friends in Milwaukee were all from Mississippi. Even though they didn't know each other in Mississippi, they come to know each other in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They were part of that second migration of Americans of African descent going from the south to the north because of jobs. Uh, That three-letter word, as Joe Biden said, jobs. (laughs) Anyway. My father and his friends love to go fishing. And so uh, they did everything as a community. They, they uh, you know, uh, grew vegetables. They would always share it. They would come in. Uh, Zach would come in to the house with a big burlap, burlap bag of peas. And we would have to like shell them, shuck them. I hated that stuff. But yeah, they would always do that. They would go fishing. And they would like split up the mess of fish. That's what they did. This time they were like about an hour, 45 minutes north of the big city. And a small town, and they were good fishing there, and they were getting out their stuff to go fishing. When they a little kid on the side of the road, one ninja, two ninjas. Well, my father and his friend heard this, and they were kind of stunned by it. The, The third friend, he got angry, and he went after the little kid. And my dad and his friend grabbed him and held on to him like, what are you doing? It's a child. What do you, what do you think they're going to do? He said, I'm going to, you know, teach them a lesson. No, you, no, you're not. This is, you know, remember, this is the 1960s. This is Wisconsin. They're out of the big city. Uh, the town that they're in is there's no, there's no people of color there. And it's the 60s. Then my father said something that I never, ever forgot. And I first heard the story as a teenager. He said, to his friend look that kid doesn't know he's doing anything wrong he doesn't even look scared he just sees uh, three ninjas getting out of a car he only knows what he's been taught he was taught this and my father's friend responded okay but then let's go kick his dad's assets." (laughs) and then they all laughed about it and they went fishing I'm hearing about this story like 20 years down the road. This took place before I was born. But what my father said, this was, he was taught, that child didn't grow up thinking these things. We could even say that, you know, as far as television, which I loathe, he didn't learn that from television. This is something that was passed on by the families. And the real shame is this is something that is still passed on by the families, but not to the same degree. If you were to ask me, is America racist? uh Oh, I'm about to say something very controversial. I'm going to upset a lot of people. My answer would be, it depends. Racism does exist. Primarily on CNN, MSNBC, and the Democrat Party. That's where you'll find it. If I'm not looking at television, I don't know about all of this racial so-called angst. If I'm not looking at television, I don't know about all of this anti-homophobic whatever. When I look at television, that's when I see it. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. America, we, we never got over racism. When I see the Reverend Al Sharpton running to some new atrocity. It exists on television. And it exists in the minds and the hearts of the people who still want to foment it. Our culture is not like it was in the 1960s, the 1950s, the 1940s. Oprah Winfrey is a very rich woman and she's an American of African descent. And even though we have athletes who are disgruntled and want to take the knee because of the oppression in our country, they're millionaires for the love of God. Where else can you find that? They have the means to fight this oppression, but when they go to look for it, guess what? It's not there. Can we find an individual who is a bigot? Oh, of course we can. But now we've made up new terms like uh, uh, systemic racism, institutional racism. Why? Because it's not up in your face anymore. Because you can pretty much go anywhere you want to. Because you have full participation in this culture, in this society, if you want to. The problem is a lot of people do not want to. The problem is people are afraid. They're afraid to embrace the opportunity because they may have to leave behind the very familiar angst. It's a cup of sorrows. A cup of sorrows that tastes real good. And so we, we feed it to each other and we feed it to our children. If that kid were to say something like that today, that same incident would happen. Oh, my gosh. I can't even I can't even begin to think, you know what? We don't have to imagine too much. Look at what happened to that kid that was wearing the uh, the Make America Great Again hat, the, the little Catholic kid up there in Washington, D.C., When the Native American got all up in his face. Look, look at what happened. Look at how he was treated. Look at how he was destroyed by the media and he didn't do anything wrong. It's almost like it's, it's not the content of your character today. It's the color of your baseball cap. Look how hatred now is being defined. It's not based on skin color, unless you are an American of European descent. If that is the case, politically, it is open season on you. And and who's bringing the fire? MSNBC, CNN, and the Democrat Party. Now. Yeah, it's actually white folks who who should be out there saying we shall overcome. But you know what? They're not wearing it. They're not wearing it. They're not victims. We are not victims, even though the media is trying to bully you into it. I got a great example for that. We're gonna have that for you coming up next here. We, but 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 let me leave you with this. Fear not. Fear not because we are in the season where we have all the power that that we need. We just need to embrace it and speak truth to the ignorance. My name is James T. Harris. Sit again for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. My name is James T. Harris sitting in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. We're having a conversation about identity politics. Identity politics is something that the Democrats have absolutely traded in, but I think it now is coming back to bite them in the assets. Uh, it used to be, you know, if you're a person of color, a black American to call African American. And then it was the Hispanic American. And then it was part of the alphabet people, the LGBT uh, community. And then and then we sexual preference, gender identity, uh, uh, cross dresser, story time. All of these things are supposed to be. Oh, the, they're a special group and they have special needs and they have special recommendations. And they try to put them all together, corral them into one strong political group. It's not working. They try to have them under the umbrella of Marxist socialism. It's really not working. And yet they don't have another card to play. All you need to do is look at how the media and how uh, the Democrat Party, how the pundits, how Hollywood has treated President Trump. He's not a. He's not a, a moral virtue beacon of virtue here no no one claimed that he is but look at how they're trying to destroy him look at how they're going after him look at what they're saying about him the race card that's being played my goodness president trump being a, a Hollywood figure, being a TV, being a TV star, he's hung out with all kinds of people. They got pictures with with President Trump and Snoop Dogg, for God's sake. Snoop Doggy Dogg. But the moment he put that R behind his name and ran for, for presidency, he's reviled. You used to have rappers sing songs about how they want to be like Trump. He's racist now. And they'll drum up like hoaxes like charlotteville i'm not i'm not diminishing the fact that someone was killed in that conflict but the way the media has spun it is just a lie oh there's good people on both sides it's a lie and anybody can go back and look at the transcripts whether we're talking about impeachment a whistleblower why do you need a whistleblower he released the transcripts it's based on lies and the only identity really right now uh, that uh, uh, that 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 the left's putting all of their energy into is just being a, a liberal, a leftist, to be a part of the resi- resistance opposed to this president and his policies. That's why we're seeing all of this craziness when it comes down to the to impeachment and all other kind of stuff. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but not too much why because American people are tired of it. I got the news for you too. The American people are tired. Of identity politics they're tired of being attacked over something they have absolutely nothing to do with you know what right after the president was elected you had Van Jones on CNN I'll never forget it that's because I, I looked at MSNBC and, and, and CNN uh, election night after the, the <laughs> After President Trump became the 45th president of the United States, I watched the meltdown in Schadenfreude. I I know. I was getting, I was gleeful. I know that's not right. That's not right. I have not repented of that yet. I still go back and I look at election night. (laughs) Because it's so good. But, but in that, we get a glimpse at, uh, uh, what the left is really concerned about what where they have all of their, you know, their energy. And Van Jones gave us a snapshot. Yeah, this was the first real outburst of Trump derangement syndrome. Van Jones said uh, that Trump's win was a white lash against the first black president. <laughs> a white lash. Well, you know, Americans of African descent only make up 14 percent of the population, which means in order for Barack Obama to be elected, white folks had to vote for him. Okay, so it was nonsensical. It was an emotional moment. It was an emotional uh, outburst, but it was very, very instructive of what the left was headed towards in this nation. And now we've gone from the media attacking President Trump proper to attacking you and me, Trump supporters. Now, just so you know, I've been lumped in with most of you. I am no longer American of African descent. No, I am. As a matter of fact, I uh, in my great state of uh, Arizona, I was dubbed by the left a, a black, white supremacist early on. I think I may have been one of the first black white supremacists why because i support the president but how does that make me a white supremacist that's black <laughs> well it, it does, what do you mean it doesn't have to make sense it's emotional it's about the resistance but it is real and if you watch these television shows you'll see that they are now they're now Attacking you. It's a wonderful progression. Got an example of this. I believe this was on MSNBC. Uh, they're going to roundtable. This is on the uh, 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 Joy Reid show. And, and they're just talking to these pundits. And what's crazy, well, actually, I'll let you hear it first. Here we go.
2: Every news cycle in D.C. starts with a simple premise What are Republicans angry about? Like 30 years, every day, that's what it starts and so if they're angry about impeachment then that's a big deal then they're on the offensive democrats are always on their heels republicans worship uh, the press worships Republican hardball mm-hmm. and they always see Dems as being outmaneuvered. The demographics of the media that that the relatability of Republicans That they they seem more relatable or they right. seem like middle America And so the media gravitates toward the Republican base
1: First of all, it's dangerous to even present this right. through the lens of uh, politics, right? right? This is not Republicans versus Democrat. This is truth versus lies. This is patriotism versus traitors
2: This obsession with how did Trump you know interviewing uh, people at Trump rallies to ask out they thought about impeachment, Uh, this obsession, and it goes back to the day after he was inaugurated, this obsession with interviewing white Midwestern Trump voters and asking them what they think about Trump, it is a dangerous, it is a racist message, because the message is white Republicans are who matter in this country.
1: That's crazy. They're now pointing their, uh, their media guns at you. You are the problem. And white conservatism is the problem. Notice how they have to, you know, put that, uh, uh, racialize it. White conservatism, not conservatism. You see, because if you're a conservative, I'm a conservative. We share ideas, but the left can't get over their identity politics. In order for them to make something bad, they say it's white, you remember the whole Trayvon Martin case? Remember Zimmerman, who happened to be Hispanic? No, he was a white Hispanic. Now it's white conservatism. Now it's the white Republican Party. White is the bad here. And what's really crazy is a white person saying this about white people. What would happen if it's reversed? If black liberalism boy i gotta say i'm real black liberalism is the bane of this society well i become I because if black liberals will just stay home then uh white conservatives gonna, <laughs> we don't talk like this this is the best of the glenn beck program
0: Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks.
1: My name is James T. Harris. Sitting in for Glenn Beck. I am a radio talker out of Phoenix, Arizona at News Talk 550 KFYI. My show's called The Conservative Circus. I am the ringmaster. And we've been talking in impeachment up the wazoo forever the question is did you get what you wanted for christmas did nancy pelosi get what she wanted for christmas you know even though this is what i do i have to tell you when it came to impeachment i was naive it was my son who was in China at the time who said, dad, yeah, um, the Democrats impeached President Trump, but, but why? Then I tried to explain to him, well, for no reason. They just don't like him. Well, what are they going to do with this? I'm like, well, now it goes over to the Senate and then they have a trial and then they call witnesses and he goes, D-, he said, dad, they're not going to send us over to the Senate. He's in China. That they're not going to send us over to the Senate. Why? Why? Because he, he's going to, he'll get, you know, he won't get impeached. He's going to get acquitted. And I'm like, look, son, this is the way things are done. We have a process here. Once a president gets impeached, the articles of impeachment go over to the Senate. He's like, dad, why would they do that? Because then it's all lost. Now it's all, there's nothing. I actually was starting to get upset with my number two. My, my Yeah, my number two. I said, all right, son, I'll look into it. <laughs> he was right. Nancy Pelosi is sitting on the articles. And pe- I, I am not going to do her send these over until I get guarantees that the Senate's going to do X, Y, and Z. You mean to tell me Nancy Pelosi was looking for a quid pro quo? Wow. Well, where does it go from here? I don't know, because the Democrats are busy breaking the rules. But what I do know is this. Well, anyway, I guess they're trying to pressure some senators to, you know, to cross over. And I think Mikowski over there from Alaska, I think she's talking crazy overnight. I don't know if I like the way Mitch McConnell. Shut, shut it, lady. Stop it. So we'll see what happens with the. Uh, with the senate or what comes next or what if nancy pelosi has any leverage she doesn't but we'll have to watch this the telephone number is triple eight beck let's go to is this a uh, joseph joseph in texas welcome to the glenn beck program
0: good morning mr harris how are you
1: fantastic
0: Hey, I can tell by, I've been listening to you for a couple hours. I usually, um, I haven't listened to Beck for a couple weeks because I've been traveling. But my point is this, um, I can tell you're a man of faith in some of the way you articulate yourself with some of the phrases you use. I look at it like this. We all know, us common folk, and I'm just a middle class type of guy working the oil field, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, it reminds me of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. They're trying to set a trap for Donald Trump and all us deplorables, etc., that are conservatives and believe in fiscal responsibilities, et cetera, they're going to fall into their own trap and fall on their own sword. It just reminds me of those that think evil is good and good is evil. They're destroying themselves. I believe that they're so confused because they don't practice civility. They, they're absolute hypocrites, in my opinion. And I know I'm not the only one in Texas that thinks this way. I appreciate everything you guys do. I just thought that I just pray for the administration. I don't care what Donald oh, Trump did ten years no. ago or anything of that nature. So, yes. Go ahead, sir.
1: We yes, pray. Sir. We pray for uh, on the conservative circus. The last segment on Fridays. We pray to jesus on behalf of the president of the united states his administration his family who have been under withering attack and i'm like you and many others people will try to look at morality or virtues or character and all this kind of stuff i i don't know about all that all i know is this I think that President Trump is not necessarily a man after God, but he's God's man. And he's been doing things that have been absolutely tremendous for this country. And there have been millions of people who have been lifted out of poverty because of his common sense uh, initiatives. And, And like you. Uh, I agree. I used to have Psalms one memorized, but it was a like, blessed yep. is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a si- si- seat in the company of mockers, but who delight, yes, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And they meditated on it day and night. Well, yeah. Uh, And people who do that, Joseph, uh, they look at all of the buffoonery and the silliness and the straight out evil that's pouring out of that TV set from our so-called news media. And we move closer to President Trump. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much for the call. Yeah. What else are we going to do? I mean, I'm not going to be fearful. Because, I mean, we just celebrated the birth of, of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the king. And the angels told the, the shepherds, if you're not, I bring you great tidings of joy. So we have the wonderful opportunity to fight on behalf of our liberties. But we can count on a higher power. We don't have to pull out our guns and start shooting. Yet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Do we have another caller? We have Joseph in Utah. Joseph, welcome to the Glenn Beck program.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Harris, for taking my call. I just wanted to let you know how refreshing it is to hear you and to hear your expressions, your, your compassion. The, the story about uh, Charlie Brown in the beginning, that really touched my heart. It really did, man. I just uh, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you and that I love you. I love you, man. You're the greatest.
1: Joseph, thank you very much. That is a very, very kind call. That was very, you know, don't make me cry on national on national radio. This is my second time in here, and you're getting all emotional now. <laughs> thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. If you want to weigh in on the Glenn Beck program, it 888-888. 727 B E C K. And what Joseph was talking about is on the first segment we opened up, we talked about, um, we talked about the, uh, Christmas. We talked about how, how network television, you know, the, the media is all aligned against us. It's all aligned against Christianity. Is there a, a war? But a little over 50 years ago, on the Charlie Brown special, uh, we had Charles Schultz, who was the creator of uh, the artist, said, we have to make this about something. We have to make this mean something. So they made it about Christmas and they talked about, uh, Luke. They, they quoted Luke, the, the announcement. And it still has an impact to this day. Roger. Roger in Pennsylvania is waiting to get on the Glenn Beck program. Hey, James, how you doing? fantastic hey uh, when you were
2: talking about uh, about liberals grouping people together it it brought to mind a a story that I I experienced back in 2016 during the safety pin era and uh, what happened was I yeah you remember after um, Trump was elected all these uh, liberal people were walking around with safety pins on their lapel so that people would know so that people of color and of different faiths would know that they were safe to be around.
1: <laughs> you know what? You I had forgotten that? about that. <laughs> this is, they were a human safe spaces. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. exactly. And,
2: and and what wound up happening was at the time, I was taking an online online uh, master's course. And what it, what it was is one of these courses that... They actually had a physical class going, and you could zoom into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, and so what happened was after the election, it was the first session after the election, all these white liberal uh, folks were coming in with safety pins on. Well, the, cl- the actual class was in Philadelphia, so there was a lot of um, African Americans who were attending as well. And what wound up happening is somebody asked you know, you know, these people, what's this with the safety pins? And they explained to them that because of Trump's election, that uh, th- these were to let people of color know that they were safe people to be around. Right. And the African-Americans in the class just were totally incensed because they felt that they were being so talked down to mm-hmm. that we need, we need to seek out a person with a safety pin to feel
1: safe this is how liberals uh, think of Americas of African descent this is uh, what that story right there and thank you very much for sharing it speaks volumes about the left and how they think of uh, uh Americas of African descent a uh, people of color in general it's 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 indicative of a wider issue it goes even goes back to and thank you very much for the call I appreciate you uh, uh it goes back to an experience that I had. Um, here's another story story time (laughs) as a high school teacher uh my students demanded that i tell them stories that's they were trying to divert me away from giving the lesson i was a high school teacher for 10 years and then i was a speaker before i got into radio but i would weave the lessons into the stories that i was telling so that the uh the children you know i fooled them into learning uh and to be able to get into that position though I had to swallow a big fat pill and that pill was the concept that I was an affirmative action hire because I was the first American of African descent school teacher in that school. And the conversation that I had with the superintendent of schools who hired me was pretty amazing. And I want to share that with you up next. My name is James T. Harris sitting in for For Mr. Beck, this is the Glenn Beck Program. My name is James C. Harris, sitting in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. When I was a uh, young man, I wanted to travel, just loved traveling. And all we would do is go back and forth to Mississippi, but I would use my imagination. I was like Speed Racer in the Mach 5. And how we, were, we were driving all over the world. That's how I used my imagination. Well, we didn't have games. We didn't have the you know the TV set in the back of the headrest. I'm still bitter about that, but still. So as I grew older, I had the opportunity to, to travel, and I did. I, I studied overseas. I studied in England for a year. I went across uh, Europe, Eastern Europe. When it was still Eastern Europe, I just dated myself. I remember when the wall came down. It was a year after my my uh, one of my trips. I had the opportunity to travel through India and uh, the Middle East. By the time I got to the Middle East, I took my sons along. I was really into traveling. It's just an amazing thing because you learn by seeing. You learn by doing and Then you can go back and read about it, or you can read about it first and go back and do it. My son has carried on a tradition. He's, he's a traveler in the family. Uh, right? My baby girl wants to, but she's a baby girl, and I can let her go. Why? No. <laughs> baby girl, no. My son's married, so he doesn't have to worry about that. He's not going anywhere. Actually, they do travel. Traveling is really, really opened up a whole new world to me. And when I was a high school teacher, I had done a decent amount of traveling. So that opened the door for me to be a world history teacher. I heard about this job when I was in Chicago, but the job was in Wisconsin, Brown Deer, Milwaukee. And so I overheard these administrators talking about an open position. So I strategically went to the place, walked in and dropped an application. It didn't take very long. Um, as an American of African descent, as a high school teacher, we're a commodity. There's not too many of us. So you're going to try to scoop. My my uh, transcripts were fantastic. They had the travel experience on it. They put me through a test called the perceiver. The perceiver test this is a long test. And I apparently I did very, very well on it. So the superintendent, he didn't screw around at all. He offered me a contract on the second meeting. I don't even think I filled out an application. I <laughs> don't know if I should have shared that. But, yeah. So he hired me. I was excited. And then he closed the office door. He said, I want to talk to you about something. Sit down. And he said, "Um, you're going to be up against something because people are going to think that you got this job solely because you're black. I said, why am I going to think that? Why would they think that? Well, because you're the only black teacher in the school now. Welcome aboard. And I'm like, well, why are you telling me this? He said, I'm telling you this because you did not get this job because you're black. You got this job because you're qualified, immensely qualified, surprisingly qualified. So whenever you get that vibe where somebody is stupid enough to say that to your face, I just want you to understand that this is the culture. Well, I I, uh, thanked him for his candor. And it didn't take very long before that was exactly what I experienced. But that's not something I was new at because when I was student teaching, I taught in a little town called West Bend. And I was the first black person in the school period. (laughs) It was two schools put together, thousands of kids. And they were not shy. While I was interviewing, and you know, the bell rang and they were passing classes. One kid yelled out, hey, ninja. You know, the N word the guy I was interviewing with I know he heard it I knew he heard it but he didn't say anything we continued to tour then we sat down for the formal interview part that he said you know what I got to tell you something I just want you to know I heard that and if you would have told me before this that I would ever hear anything like that here I wouldn't believe it now I have to face the fact that we got a culture issue here I just want you to know that I heard it he didn't apologize he didn't grovel He just acknowledged that it existed. And in that moment, I knew this is where I want to work. And I want that kid in my class because that's learned behavior. That half a year I was in that school was profound. And I still hear from some of those students today. And that was was a a little while ago. (laughs) That was a little while ago. What I'm trying to tell you, you, good people, is this. We live in a fantastic country, and yes, we have our warts. We have our, we have our isms, but it's only racist if you want it to be. And even when it is racist, you have more control over the situation than you think. Just a little bit of a diversion there because of a, a wonderful telephone call into the Glen Back program when we return I just want to give you a reason why I think that we are not experiencing a coup with this impeachment drive and now they're talking about doing more impeachment uh, the resistance movement not only among the left and the, the media and uh, half of the establishment uh, Republican Party what we're watching here is a cold civil war and things are not going to improve until we recognize what we are up against and we engage it on that level hey
0: it's glenn and i want to tell you about something that you should either end your day with or um start your morning with and that is the news and why it matters if you like this show you're gonna love the news and why it matters it's a bunch of us that all get together at the end of the day and just talk about the stories that matter to you and your life the news and why it matters look for it now wherever you download your favorite podcast the blaze radio
2: network on demand